What's going on, grappling fans? Who's the first one that puts you in the game? Mentally in the game. We're just going to each other. All our matches have been pretty close. Hey, what's going on, Grappling fans? Welcome back to another episode of Who's Number One. Hope everyone at home has been having a great week as we steamroll right through. Man, it's exciting times here at Flow Grappling as competition is returning this weekend. Fight to Win is back. They have two shows, Friday and Saturday. Very pumped to see those. You can check out flowgrappling.com for all the preview content and stuff like that. But moving right along, today we have two legendary jiu-jitsu fighters on our show. I'm talking about Ricardo Laborio and Marillo Bustamante calling in from Florida and Brazil. Guys, how's it going? How are you doing down there? Hey, Chase, how are you? Mike, everybody was listening and seeing us right now. Hope everybody is healthy and safe there. Corona craziness, but everything is fine here. How you doing, Marilla? Hello, hello, Mike. Hello, Chase. Uh, I'm in Rio, so crazy situation. Living in quarantine for a long time, already home. So all schools of jiu-jitsu close around the country, and you know uh, we don't know when it's gonna pass. But in the end, everything is fine. Thanks God, you know. Uh, all my family is healthy and sharing to this situation, you know, praying for the situation pass as fast as possible. Absolutely. So we kind of kick off the show with uh, all of our new guests just to see how they've been dealing with the situation, what they've been doing to stay busy. Uh, I know both you guys have a lot of projects that you've been working on. Uh, maybe Laborio, tell me what you've been doing since since quarantine went down and uh, the gyms have been closed. How have you been staying busy lately? So, guys, I, I, I teach at University of Central Florida, and I, I teach a credit course, and this craziness came in right in the middle of the semester. So we have to adapt, get all the content online, got to get the final exams online. So I was really busy with, with the school still until last week. And, and now it's just, now I bought an inflatable pool, and I'm, I'm having, I'm having my daughter going outside all the time, and the summer's coming, and and I don't know, just just taking the time to 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 adapt to this new reality, you know, new craziness. Yeah, it's definitely trying times. We'll dive into the school stuff a bit later because that's a super interesting topic that we uh, want to learn more about. So we'll put a pin in that for now. But man, that's a cool project going on there. Yeah. Marillo, uh, I'd be interested to hear from yeah. you because uh, we've only had one person from Rio on this show, and that was Waleed when Waleed called in, and he didn't talk too much about uh, coronavirus or anything. But uh, what's the what's the uh, what's what's the situation like down there in in Rio? Uh, is it? Uh, yeah, I don't know if he froze here. It was just me. No, it's it's fine. Mar- Marillo, what's the what's the the shutdown like down there? Is there any? Uh, I hope end you guys inside? can hear me. Yeah, we're, uh, we're still hearing you, Laborio. Uh, okay. so the Sorry. situation here is, uh, you know, uh, uh, man, it's not it's not good, you know. So a lot of people get contaminated with the uh, with the virus, and more people, you know, the curve kind of growing, going up. 
uh, we don't know when it's going to start to go, you know, stay on top to do, then from there uh, start to to drop the curve, they call the curve of the, 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 the contamination. But it's still growing, so uh, I'm already home for two months since March 16. Uh, I closed my academy and staying home with my family, just going out, you know, the last I, I, I can do something that I have to do, uh, grocery store, some stuff, but, you know, uh, but uh, people saying that, uh, you know, there is still have too much people that not stay home and this is not good for the, for the, you know, for the, the pandemic, I mean, to, 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 to fight the pandemic. So they're talking about the new lockdown, more restrict than we are doing right now. And maybe, you know, we don't know, we don't have, we don't have the uh, 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 perspective when it's going to really pass. So I closed my school, my schools, my school in Rio and our schools in Brazil and around the world, all Brazilian top teams are closed. And now I know that some schools in Europe and, and U.S. starting to, to reopen, but we don't have uh, 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 any good you know, answer about when, when you're going to return to work. So this is something that, you know, we're kind of dealing with. Uh, we're creating a lot of content for uh, online classes, you know, using the social media and the some platforms to teach online, keep our students together. So my time I have spending kind of uh, helping my, my associates to, to deal with this kind of uh, hard situation we're living, you know. So I kind to be, I, I, I'm trying to be together with them with some meetings and, uh, you know, video calls and talking about how to get over overcoming the situation, create content and, 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 and you know, uh, how to deal with the students, the payments, you know, so the billing issues and, you know, how to pass through this hard time. So uh, actually we're doing well, thanks God, you know, uh, but I hope it passes soon because the situation is, is getting harder as long as it doesn't finish, you know. So that's a, a, a quick briefing about the situation down yeah. here. So, uh, Ricardo, so you were working uh, with, I guess, you're working with this, this program, this club at the University of Central Florida, UCF BJJ. How did you, uh, maybe before you get into it, explain what that is a little bit and then explain how you had to adapt after this COVID thing started, maybe how you had to change your, your program up or something if you went online. Well, guys, this is, my situation here, you probably is the same in almost every state in America, right? We, 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 we go to this lockdown. We just really, like Morello saying, we're just getting out of the house just to get groceries and, and just very brief walks otherwise you're you're going crazy insane i'll be killing my my i'm just kidding <laughs> killing my dogs first. <laughs> i'll be killing my pets first and the family later no i'm just kidding i was just so used to to, to go every day guys i live 10 minutes from ucf 10 minutes it's i was spending the whole time at ucf on my day there 
get there eight o'clock in the morning, getting out of there like at five, six o'clock at night. And and this thing, you know, we're we're doing so well, we're being so successful with the program, teaching the classes, which is a credit course, and also with the club. It's the club. The club started with two days a week and end up being six days a week. So we're we're having six days a week training. I, I go five. Saturday usually is an open mat, but it was was fantastic. This thing just grew so much. You know, we started we started with with, with six students, guys. We started six students and a spinoff of the MMA club. And from the Emic Club, we founded the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Club. And from six students that started, we, we opened the BJJ Club with 16, the signature of 16 students. And they, they have to build up a constitution. They have to go to the administration. Usually is is really uh, orchestrated by the recreational center of, of the club, of the university. But... There is there is a sports club administration. You cannot just open up without having a constitution and having all the officials there being approved by the university. So we went all this path. We did all the blueprint of what is required to open a club. And in one year and a half, we put up more than 360 students, guys. Amazing. It was just that was just a boom. And this boom came up. It came up, there was a couple of things that we did it, which is a little bit different, which, you know, every sustainable business, you have to have at least three very important things, right? You have to have a comprehensive marketing plan. You have to have a comprehensive sales plan. And you have to have the structure of the class. And of course, you have to have retention. Retention usually comes with doing events and tying up people together and find out the quality. But... From marketing, we went, for those guys that are listening to right now, this is a good thing you know, to start it. We went to, there is the day they call orientation day. I don't know if you ever guys ever heard. And there was a division inside of UCF called the first year experience. So for the first year experience and your orientation day, we made a big deal about that. So we suddenly were advertising to all the kids that are coming in. And usually this 18-year-old freshman, they... They need something to do, and they need a place to be accepted. This is the point there. So now there goes the sales point, because the sales point is not even just material. It's not just just charging people. It's how you welcome people at the door, how you make them feel special. You guys know that it's very rare. People are a lot of people are afraid to cross the martial arts school. You know, yeah. there is a couple things there. People are afraid at a. At American Top Team, guys, we have the best success. I used to try try to help my guys there, and I put those guys on the front desk. Even nice guys, you know, guys, nice guys. They could actually commute well, but people from the outside are afraid. And the moment they, I put a middle-aged woman, like a mom, at the front desk, they change it completely because people are not afraid to cross the door. That's true. There man. you go. There you go. That's, true. That's it. So how you make them feel? How they make them, you know, feel like they belong to something special? Feel like they they're accepted? There's another thing too. At this club, there was no restriction, man, in terms of religion, race. We're really, really inclusive on anything, you know. 
it's not about your your it's really not about your skillability. It is really not about the competition, especially right now. Not right now, but it will be. I think that people have to understand it. We have to build something for competition because they wanted to. Grappling is the new thing, guys. I think grappling, that's a different subject, but it's much easier for grappling to be in the Olympics than jiu-jitsu is. Let's be honest, you know? So I think, I think this is the future. All right. Uh, Marillo, you were telling us just before you, uh, we got on, Marillo, that uh, you've sort of changed your coaching role, that you're focusing more on uh, teaching traditional jiu-jitsu these days instead of professional fighters, right? Yes. Uh, I, I have been involved with the, with the professionals for a long time. I have been competing, coaching uh, competition teams and, and, and you know in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and uh, Valitude and Mixed Martial Arts for a long long time so from a couple of years ago I kind of uh, you know I uh, was a little bit tired to, to to do everything I was doing plus training fighters and then I kind of changed a little bit my business and I we still have a, a competition MMA team and Jiu-Jitsu team uh, and I kind of, uh, for the MMA team, I kind of uh, put on one of my students that have been with me for a long time, Vitor Pimenta, uh, coaching the, the professional team. And I was kind of teaching as well, supporting the team, uh, giving consulting, uh, but not every day. I don't have the obligation to be every day with the guys, traveling with people, you know, they're going to fight. So I kind of giving support for them, directions. Uh, they're going well, we're kind of uh, uh, building, uh, you know, new guys coming from the amateur to professional. Uh, and I'm more focused to, to work with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, teaching kids classes, beginners, and managing the, you know, my school in Brazil, in Rio, and managing my association, my association around the world. So Brazilian top team, uh, has schools around the world in, in, in US, Canada, Europe, you know, uh, Australia, many countries. And I kind of, uh, you know, learning, trying to study to learn more and uh, to manage and help my, my students to manage the, the, the schools better. So I kind of involved in the, the, the management of uh, business and having a lot of fun teaching kids. That's what I have been doing. Yeah. If you want to meet me in my academy, 100% you're going to meet me in the, the kids, you know, classes. I'll be there 100%. So having a lot of fun with the kids, you know, it's a kind of, you know, returning for the roots, uh, you know, helping the new generations. That's what I'm doing. After so many years of, uh, you know, and being involved in MMA and Valley Tudo, what, what, Still gets you excited about the gi and, and doing traditional jujitsu. What what do you love about it so much? I uh, when I was fighting as a professional because of my background with uh, uh, jujitsu competitions, uh, I have a you know I don't need to train that much with gi. So different from the beginners in MMA. So all my students they train with gi. All the, 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 you know, the MMA fighters, they train with, with us, they still train with gi. But it was a kind of a little bit away from the gi. And, you know, teaching professionals and, you know, traveling a lot, uh, manage my own career, fighting. 
So it's a lot of stuff I couldn't be, you know, too much involved in, 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 with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So when I retired, I had more time and I returned to training every day with Gi. So it gave me a lot of pleasure. So I kind of, you know, uh, returned from my roots. And then I remember how fun was training with Gi. You know, having so much fun training with Gi. I still train with no Gi, with the guys, the professionals, you know. Uh, I'm not training that much wrestling and takedowns because of my back. I'm, you know, I have some hurts that I carry. So, but I train with Gi, you know, have me a lot of, you know, give me a lot of pleasure and have me teaching, studying new stuff. People, you know, every year I attend the, you know, the world tournament in, in California, you know, try to see what is new people doing, you know, new positions and, and try to learn the most I can because the journey never ends. You know, you, you, I learn every, I try to learn every day with my students, with people that are doing to bring something interesting for my game. So I still train in jiu-jitsu, you have a lot of fun. Guys, listen, now I got to interject just for a second here. I just want you guys to understand how important is this guy, you know, for the history of MMA and grappling and jiu-jitsu. Just take a look at this. Because 1991, there was this dispute about who is the best martial arts in Rio between jiu-jitsu and luta libre, right? And jiu-jitsu and luta libre has this really clash of, of, of uh, styles in a certain way, which is grappling styles, but in a certain way to try to figure it out really who's the best. And that's something that's borderline, borderline gangs, right? So 1991, Murillo jumping in. He, he was not even just invited on it. He jumping in. He offered himself to be part of the jiu-jitsu team against luta libre. And this is he was a kid. We were kids. We're kids. We're kids. Was it you know twenty something years old? And let's say kids, at twenty something years old. And, and beyond that, you know, Carson took. I wanted just to really highlight the importance of that. Carson took the ownership to train all the jujitsu members of the team to fight against Luta Libre. So nineteen ninety one was really a remarkable day. Because jiu-jitsu fought a livery trained by Carlson Gracie, where it united all the jiu-jitsu schools that was in it. So suddenly you're training with, with the, the biggest rivals was uh, Fabio Gurgel, Marcelo Bering, Slavin, uh, Amori Bitec, Murillo Bustamante, Maris Ferry, uh, Bebel Duarte. Um, Murillo knows even more. So 1991, we have all those guys here trained by Carlson. Another thing, too. People don't realize that. You know, I was doing a live the other day. I was finding out that the training at Carlson at the time, it was at night. It was a nighttime. And that was a time that people started really actually teaching classes. Oh, Rillo and, and Bolon and Delacita, everybody has their own schools. But the majority of guys were training at night where you have a lot of high-level guys that they're not really considered professionals. Guys like Ricardo Jucá, Buxaú, Braulio, Marcelo Duxtrada, Marcelo Duxtrada, uh, uh, all, all those guys from our generation, black belts, were training at night. But when, when Carlson actually took the guys to train for Valetudo, he, he took and he started training at noon. So from there, Murillo went there, defending the flagship of jiu-jitsu, 
And at the time that nobody knew exactly where this thing was going to. This guy was challenging himself. You know, he goes there, he fight, he fought against a guy who's older than him, bigger than him. He won the 1991. And look at this, 1993, UFC was created. But at this point right now, understand this. This is important for jiu-jitsu too. All the jiu-jitsu guys, all the guys from Carlson Gracie was the best team at the time. The best team by far turned all the gears to the Valetudo. Turned the gears to the Valetudo, not just because Carlson was teaching, but also because there was money in it. You know, there was money in something. And there was medals and money. Everybody was getting to the 20s something. And, and everybody started really actually training for Valetudo. And that was this big change of gears on this thing. Now, things was evolved. Japan, uh, Murillo started fighting. Murillo has a remarkable fight against Storm Erickson. I don't know if you guys remember, watch this. This is this is a very, very skilled, reputable, you know, very accomplished wrestler. He's a big dude. Big, a very, big dude. Yeah, very big. big. Very big dude. You know? Very <laughs> big, I can't tell. <laughs> and Murillo comes from big. there. Hey. To go to Pride Show, to go after that UFC, to be the, the first Brazilian to win the wealth, the, the weight division on UFC. So I'm just really, I'm just, because he's not going to say nothing about this. I'm just got to jump in. This guy saw it at all. He saw it. I love everything. it. No, that, that, was, yeah. that was perfect intro to where we want this conversation to go. He, yeah, he competed in grappling. He competed in gi. He competed in no gi. He competed in, at the Pride Show, UFCs. Absolutely everything, you know. That's the next step for all of us here right now is just try to get Murillo and UFC Hall of Fame. That's the point there. We're gonna use this as a platform, guys. I love it. I, <laughs> Laborio is the ultimate hype man. If I yeah. need to get psyched up, I'm gonna call Laborio. Yes. <laughs> when, thank when, you, thank you, Laborio. Thank you. When Waleed was on here, Waleed was saying that, the, that when you guys fought those uh, Lucha Livre guys, he thought that that was sort of the precursor to the UFC. That's what he thought, because it was two years earlier, and it was style against style. He thought that that's sort of where the idea came from to, like, have something bigger with the UFC. It was what, what his idea was. Guys, I want to ask yes. you, so, um, how popular was Valetudo prior to the UFC? It existed. I know there were some matches, some super fights and stuff like that, but was it a normal thing for guys to do or very uncommon? You know, what was the scene like yeah, back you then? You see these these videos of like Hickson fighting guys with no gloves on and but right. there's a there's a big crowd there. So what was that like in the in the 80s and before the UFC Valetudo in in Brazil? Uh You know, with, with uh in Casson era, in Casson time, Valetudo is a very common, a lot of shows in Rio at the 60s, 60s, maybe 70s, right? Uh, in Brazil, but at my time, uh, end of 70s and you know, maybe 70s, maybe till 70, I think so, six, till 60s, beginning of 70. The 70s and 80s, no more shows, no more fights of Valetudo. Uh, and the first fight I attend, I saw the first fight, that, there was some challenge, you know. Uh, there was a in seventies. There was a challenge against karate, karate. Uh, but it wasn't a show. It wasn't kind of uh, inside a, a small arena. Uh, it wasn't kind of an event. But uh, and then uh, this rivalry against Luta Livre happened, 
some way. And there was a, a show in 83, I think so, right about it, it was 83 that Pinduka yeah. fought Marco Ruiz. I think it was 83 or 84. Yeah. And then this, this show happened, and some guys from Jiu-Jitsu, I was 17 years old, uh, some guys from Jiu-Jitsu fought, like uh, Henan Pitangui, that was a, you know, was a surfer. He was a black belt, but he was a professional surfer. He was used to surf big waves in Hawaii, really brave man, but wasn't, you know, that prepared to fight Vale Tudo. So another guy was Inácio Aragão, that was Inácio. a really tough guy. Yeah. Inácio, yeah. Another guy was Marcelo Bering, that the guy's from the family, that his, his father was a master, and Marcelo was, you know, at the time he was a brown belt, he jumped in to fight, and after the Vale Tudo against Flavio Molina, he got a black belt, he got his black belt. And the, the fourth guy was uh, Fernando Pinduca that got a fight, in the, you know, two weeks before the fight. He wasn't training at all. He was kind of teaching. Uh, he had a, a, a fitness, fitness gym. school, fitness yeah. gym. It was uh, he just opened it. He just working, teaching, you know, fitness class. And he wasn't prepared, but he, he did well. Anyway, it was, doesn't have a shows often that people prepare themselves to fight. It was kind of happened. And the first time that happened was uh, 83 or 84 was this show. And from them, the rivalry just grew against Luta Livre and Jiu-Jitsu, you know? Uh, I mean, the, the, the rivalry between Luta Livre and Jiu-Jitsu grew a lot. And uh, in 91, they kind of, Pick a challenge. They went to the tournament. You know, the guys from Luta Livre. They want to. They really want to 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 face guys from Jiu Jitsu to prove they were the best. They were big. They were strong. You know, they they, they trust themselves. This their, their own skills. They wanted to fight. And the guys from Jiu Jitsu, you know, were a little bit smaller, but were skinny. But they used to compete a lot. And the rivalry among the the academies in Jiu Jitsu was something huge. You know, the rivalry between uh, Carson Gracie School and Gracie Maita, Carson yep. Gracie School, and, you know, everybody was against Carson. So for us, it was students yep. of Carson. It was something natural to be in the, in the environment that people hate us and, you know, they wanted to we lose. So, so the, talking about the emotional feelings for the 91 challenge, this kind of, you know, environment that we used to live helped us a lot to deal with the emotions of the, 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 the Vale Tudo, you know? So, but plus having Carson, you know, Carson has the best athletes of the time, you know, training under his, you know, uh, himself. Having Carson, that the best coach ever, training us directly every day, the best this, partners, this. trainers, like, Wow. Ricardo Riborio, Samaris Perry, you know, that was uh, a little bit younger than us uh, training, and guys that was ready to fight, like Amaury Bitetti, Marcelo Bering, Valide Maio, Fabio Gorgel, myself, you know, so many good guys training together, guys coming from different schools, like Roberto Traven, uh, Leonardo Castelo Branco, wow. and some other guys under Carson. So, make, and I, I believe it, it was the first time I saw guys from different school training together, make a camp together. So I was 
training already maybe 15 years at the time of this challenge. And I never saw this happen before. You know, everybody committed in the training camp to help jiu-jitsu guys that will fight. You know, so uh, imagine how good you were training together under Carson. You know, yeah. so it's hard training every day. You know, yeah. training this beast like Liborio, you know, he was a, <laughs> Liborio at the time was a, uh, was a purple strong, you know, amazing <laughs> skills. Uh, you know, it was kind of smartest pair, you know, the guys in plus, Fabio Gugel, black belt, Marcelo Beric, a black belt older than us that had experience that he fought in 80, 80, 83 or 84, I don't remember, you know, so putting everything together. So the team was, you know, after the, the, the Valley Tudo, the confidence, you know, that we yeah. gained with this camp was huge. Everything was easier. Com tournaments, you know, jiu-jitsu contests was easier to, 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 to deal with. So we grew a lot with this kind of experience, you know. And when we face guys from Luta Livre, we, we were completely ready to go. So then from there, to, you know, to, uh, and when the, 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 the UFC started in 93, and then after that pride, the Carson team was ready, already ready to go, yep. to travel and fight around the world, you know. But that, so, Murillo, that shows a lot, guys, sorry. That shows a lot. Look at what happened there. Carlson was able to get the best jiu-jitsu team in the world and turn into the best MMA, oh, well, Valetudo team in the world, right? It wasn't MMA. It was Valetudo team in the world. This guy, what did he have done it? He accomplished, I don't want to have done it. That was the, the best, the best jiu-jitsu medallion. It's nobody else, nobody was even closer to what Carlson was. And really, really, this 1991 was so dominant because in 1991, when everybody changed gears to train more no and more Valetudo, that's when the rise of other teams came in, you know? And you can see Masters, which at the time, Jacare, you know, uh, Romero Jacare team just rise above, and you have Baja Racing rising above. Well, uh, Jacare was nowadays Alliance. At the time, it was Jacare with Masters, right? And and you see that just mainly, I believe, a lot to do with with the, the change of gears to the Valetudo. But I was just want to add something for Murillo here. Now, 1991, that thing was televised on the biggest TV channel in Brazil, and this is was on prime time. So when a jiu-jitsu win. All the teenager kids, everybody wants to be a jiu-jitsu player. Everybody. <laughs> but at the same time, all the parents hated jiu-jitsu <laughs> because I was bumping his head and you know, flat, blood splashing every out, everybody in the crowd, and everybody was saying, that, this is human. This is not human kind that was that was really the beginning of everything so you talk about uh how everybody wanted to do jiu-jitsu and uh the parents hated it i'd like to get into a little bit about uh how you guys started and what it was like back then because it would have had to have been a whole different world to compare to jiu-jitsu nowadays i think we'll start with with marilla what what year did you start and what brought you into starting training jiu-jitsu uh uh my my oldest 
you know, my, my older brothers, they already trained in jiu-jitsu, so I kind of followed their steps. Uh, they, they, you know, they were surfing, and they were training jiu-jitsu, and I kind of started surfing before, and then after I started training jiu-jitsu, so I kind of followed their own steps uh, of sports. But at the beginning, uh, I started when I was 10 years old, but at the beginning, I kind of uh, didn't care that much. I, I attended classes, but I didn't concern that much about jiu-jitsu, you know. But getting older, <clears throat> you know, uh, when I was around 14 to 50 years old, being a teenager, uh, you know, a little bit shy and insecure, I needed, I needed jiu-jitsu a lot. So I kind of stick with jiu-jitsu and start to compete. And then when I start to compete jiu-jitsu, I could find something that was I, I, I were I, I was very good because I you know I proved myself and then it helped me a lot. So I started competing and win everything, almost all the tournaments, kind of 99% of the tournaments I I, I, I I was fighting, I was winning. So then it you know it, and I like to compete because it challenged myself and I could prove myself. And then from there, I never stopped, man. I, you know, I, I, I started teaching uh, uh, jiu-jitsu to pay my university. And when I got graduated, I, I, I never worked with, you know, my profession. So, you know, I became an economist, but I never worked as economist. You know, I was always... Uh, and at the time, jiu-jitsu was really small. You know, the academy was something really small. It doesn't have, uh, you know, money involved. But I kind of choose something that, uh, a profession that even if I didn't make money, I would be happy. It was kind of this kind of choice, you know. I chose because of a love of sport. But then suddenly the the, the market changed and jiu-jitsu became huge. Vale tudo uh, spread around the world, and then jiu-jitsu spread around the world. And I, in the end, I made the the right choice. <laughs> For sure. What what year do you think it was that you did your first competition? I I think it was a 15 years old. I was 15 years old. Yeah, but like what was it? Was it like 16 years old. In the 80s? Was it still the 80s at that point? Oh, yeah, 80s. 80s, yes, yes. 80s. 80, 80, 80 81, 82, something like that, you know. It was right. a long time ago. 81, so, I mean, almost 40 years ago. What was a jiu-jitsu tournament like back then, and how is it different than a jiu-jitsu tournament is now? Uh, it was, you know, the, the, the state of Rio... The tournaments in state of Rio, uh, from my blue belt to my black belt, was the kind of four championships <laughs> because we didn't. Have, uh, the, the 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 confederation of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil was found uh, in '94, 1994. So there uh, there was only federations in states, and the the, the strongest state of Jiu-Jitsu was Rio de Janeiro. So the best fighters was from Rio de Janeiro, and if some couple guys that are not from Rio come to fight in Rio, so the local tournaments was the biggest, you know. So I could grow up seeing guys like uh, you know Hickson Gracie fighting, uh, mm-hmm. Hollis Gracie fighting, you know, uh, Fernando Pinduca, Otávio Peixoto, you know, a lot of good guys fighting, and the tournament was small. But everybody that was involved in jiu-jitsu, they were there, or fighting or coaching. You know, it was a small community at the beginning, in the 80s, but it was growing. 
uh, more people joining the community, you know, but after 91, explode, you know, yeah. explode because Jiu-Jitsu uh, won a very important challenge, as Libori said, but the, 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 the most important that was broadcasting the biggest TV company in Brazil for the whole country. So then it became a fever in Brazil. And then after Nobo, right? 93, yeah, and 93 was UFC that helps a lot as well with Hoysi fighting UFC and then Hickson and, and Enzo fighting Pride. So everything bring a lot of attention, of, uh, you know, for, for, the, for the community of Jiu-Jitsu. For sure. What about you, Laborio? How did it all begin for you? Well, Morillo is much older than me uh, in age. So I'm, one year, one year old. He's much older. Yeah. <laughs> You're so much older. But by the way, I'm just dyed my my beard white, and I'm mean, I'm still so young that I have to do something that looks more like my age. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I'm actually I'm growing this beard. If everything goes wrong in December, I have a job as a Santa Claus some some mall. <laughs> You're ready. You're ready to go. No, reality is, I started. I started. I think was 17 years old. I don't even know the dates exactly, but I remember. I remember it was underage because I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license or anything like that. And I remember. Um, who, who brought me in to jiu-jitsu was, was the uncle of my first girlfriend, Patricia. Murillo know so well. And, and, and her uncle was Carlos Rosado. Carlos Rosado is, is an idol from both of us. Is the black belt from Carlson Gracie. Is the only guy to receive the red belt from Carlson. So Rosado actually started teaching me. He, you saw me with a stucky kid. I said, man, I went to a barbecue in, in, in her house. Man, you you got to start training jiu-jitsu. Like I said to you guys here, what happened is I live in this neighborhood called Umaita, and Carlson Gracie was in Copacabana. And I remember taking the, the bus every day to cross, go under. Mike knows where it is. You remember the tunnel? Yeah, yeah. Back to the cemetery every day. I have done this so many times. The tunnel, that's the, that's <laughs> the, one, that go, the one that goes under Tabajars, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's exactly under your, your favela. <laughs> now, what happened is, I was going there, I remember young, we have no cars, we have no nothing, and, and Rosado started teaching. And I remember at the time, like Murillo said, I spent a couple months doing it, and I, and I went away, and I came back again, and he started teaching me again, and, and I got really close to De La Riva. De La Hiva just had this fight with Hoyler Gracie, and De La Hiva got his black belt to get the fight, and he was, you know, we really tied up, really, really good friends. And what happened there is De La Hiva just had a, just, just had a breakup with a girlfriend that he had at the time, and I introduced him to, to the cousin of my girlfriend, you know, Marcia. Murillo knows everybody that I'm talking about here. Yeah, 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 yeah. De La Hiva hates me until today because they got married right after that and they're still married to <laughs> So he blames me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Your fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> but we were really tight. So De La Hiva started teaching classes at Carlson. I was there with him. And from there on, he started teaching at Marco Otavio, which is another place nearby in Copacabana, right, right close to the favela that Mike lived. 
And and I started teaching over there. I started going over there. I learned so much. And everybody says that because there was the style, Carlson, of smashing, takedowns and passing. And everybody has almost like the same style on it. And I was playing guard. And I was very, that was very different at the time. And I remember when I was like a purple belt, Carlson was like, man, stop playing guard. And you started totally, started working on top now. And that was really actually completing my game. But the training that we had there, me, Murillo, and all the guys, that was unbelievable. Man. It was, it was, I compared this as like, this is old style. There was really pure pressure. Imagine you, 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 you pour a bag of beans in your hand and you shake it over here. And the beans that stay are the champions because that was pojada every day. You know, it was too much pojada. Listen, listen, Ibarra, give me a uh, break. Guys, can I take a, a history about this guy here? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Funny story, but it's true. You don't know this guy. Nobody knows what I'm saying. He, he will remember. Uh, Liborio was, when he started training, I was already teaching and I wasn't attending that much the classes at night. And uh, in 80, I think it was 88 or 89, uh, there was, I was already black belt and I knew him from the academy a couple of times, but we, we weren't friends. And there was a big fight uh, against two guys, big names from Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. One of the guys was Carson Studas, was very good on the bass. Yeah. It was, uh, it, I think it was 88 that happened. Uh -huh. I had an injury in my, 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 my knee, and I wasn't training, I was teaching and recovering myself. I wasn't going that much to the academy. And then after this fight that, uh, you know, that the Carson student won very well, he made a, he was a black belt, you know, you know, kind of guy was one of the best ever. And I, I will make, you know, I won't, I won't tell any names here. And Carson, yeah, I know I wasn't in Canada, but I knew this is so funny. Uh, and a true story. And the Carson bring his guy, this guy here, Libório, he was a blue belt. And asked the guy to pass Libório guard. Libório was a blue belt. It wasn't the beginner because he was training, you know, already, but I, I think I think he didn't compete yet, right? No, I, I competed. I competed blue belt, competed. yeah. He yeah. was complete. But, uh, you know, because of this, the, the, we didn't met that much. I didn't know him very well. So, and then after the situation, I passed to know him. I, I, I know his name before, know, you know, uh, his fame. He got a statement this night. And then Acaso asked the guy to pass his guard. Anybody sweep the guy and mount. And then Acaso asked him to repeat. The guy repeat. And the guy's... The guy tried to pass his guard again, and he switched the mount again. I think it was three times, right? I don't remember this. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> this. It was kind of... And it was something, you know, that, uh, that surprised a lot of people because, you know, the blue belts used to be, used to be good in Castle. If you train with the blue belt, it would be a hard training, you know, because the, the level was good in all belts, like a blue belt, purple belt, any kind of guy that any, you know, uh, a lower level that you pick to train, it would be, be a hard training. But this guy, Libori was a beast, you know, he was, and, and, and then from there, I know he's, you know, I knew him in person, but I didn't realize uh, who was who. And then I, I, because I wasn't attending the class, people told me the story, 
And I said, oh, who's this guy? And then when I met him, I, I kind of link, you know, yeah. the story with him. And then we start to deal and, you know, I, I mean, start to, 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 to meet a lot and became like yeah. close friends fast. And then we became kind of training partners, you know. So this guy had been giving me a hard time since he was, he, he was a blue belt. <laughs> oh, my God. It was you kind of against temporary. me, you know. You he, he was a black belt, he was a brown belt, you know. And yeah, he's one of the guys that learned jiu-jitsu, you know, so fast, impressive, you know. He was a blue belt, he was already making people who had to pass his guard. <laughs> so, but you got to understand one thing too, guys. Look at this. I stayed in a blue belt for quite a while, really. You know, Carlson... Carlson has this rule that you can never ask, Murillo knows this, you never ask for anything related to belts, ever. Not for you, not for anybody else. Or he was going to say, what are you doing? Are you trying to pimp? Are you a pimp of belts right now? Coffee, I told you, remember this? He used to say, what are, you, what are you doing? You're pimping? You're pimping his belt right now? What are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> and this would be Carlson Grayson there. And if you, that. Yourself, <laughs> if you ask for a belt for yourself, if you ask for a belt for yourself, for sure, man, you're you're back in the line two years. You're guaranteed you this, <laughs> right? It's always something like this. So I stay in a blue belt for quite a while, guys. Four or five years in a blue belt, and it was it was only past the guys give the new belt if the, the you know there is a room for the next in the in the competition team. Mm. For yourself, you know. So we're gonna give you a belt if there is a room for the your division in the next level. Yeah. So if there's a guy still there, you know, competing well, making points for the academy, you're gonna still stay still in the wow. same yeah. belt. For, and, for me, it's like this. Know. This is what it. Murillo was here, right? And Amori was here, and I was here. So for Amori to actually jump to the black belt, Murillo has to go to the side. Amori jumping in. And I will be getting the spot. And we got to make sure that somebody has to be under me to keep him winning everything. So that was the invention of sandbagging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this before. There's, there's the explanation. <laughs> I, I came up training with, with Carlson Jr. And he, uh, he always says that he was a, a brown belt for like five years or something because of that. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Jr. was it? Junior, man. Junior, I think Junior was worse than anybody else, right, Muriel? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Castle <laughs> was pretty very, you know, really restricted the belts. Wasn't easy. Wasn't yeah, easy at all. So then, that room, you guys had such a legendary team back then. I mean, obviously, both of you guys, you just mentioned Amari Batach, two time world absolute champion. I mean, Mario Sperry, Waleed. Uh, I mean, there's younger guys, Arona, Paulo Filio. There's so many great guys from from that team. What was that room training like in that in that back then? What was it like? Well, listen, there is one thing just for you to understand. There was the address was Figueiredo de Magalhães, four one four, and it's a very small building. You know, it's very very connected to other buildings there. So there's one entrance, and you go up to the stairs. So at my time, Carlson had the second floor, 201. There was a place that he hang out there, sometimes sleep over there and, and for private classes. And after that, you have the 302, 
and the 301. So the 302, it is the training for the guys. But if you're a black belt, you go to 302 if you're recreational or if you're not ready. If you go to 301, you have to be invited. But if you go to 301, you better be good because that's where we, that was Pohada. That's their expression all the time. The clock is ticking, and there's one after the other, and after the other, and after the other. And when the Carlson was in it, and he opened the door, <laughs> oh, people was to kill. <laughs> people wants to kill each other. Everybody wants to have a chance to to showcase yeah. the skills of Carlson. It was like a, a heat up. When he, if you put his hat on the door here, you can see people start getting like crazy, like sharks in a. <laughs> <laughs> and if you get, if you have your hat, your back at the door there, and suddenly the guy started actually pulling it up and say, "Oh, Carson is just walking in." Yeah, <laughs> really know that. Oh man, and the qualifiers, yeah. guys, the qualifiers. And reality is that if you win the qualifiers inside of Carson Gracie, you're most likely going to win the tournament. Right, Muriel? Yeah. And the qualifiers inside of Carlson, man, everybody, they had this this shelf made of concrete that goes around the room, and everybody was using to put the bags on it. Now, when it when there was time of qualifiers, everybody takes these bags down, put it on the side, and all those little guys, and all the little guys that could actually fit in on the little shelf is going here to the top, right? <laughs> And, and man, it, it was unbelievable. Imagine this thing here. There's no air conditioner. You know that, Mike, right? There's no air conditioner in any place there in Brazil. Imagine that thing. Oh, yeah. Summer. <laughs> I'm real. Oh, my summer. God. Oh, oh, man. It was a sauna. It was a sauna. It's crazy. Explain to me, because I've, I've heard a little bit about this, but w what are the qualifiers you're talking about? It was an in-house tournament is, is, is that right um and how right. how intense was that really your turn uh you know uh was really intense you know uh at my time uh didn't have that much uh before my time when it was hollis gracie and carson gracie academy they teach same same academy but two different teams. But then, when the, there is a competition, they kind of compete together, one, one team. So there is a really hard qualifying between Carson's, you know, Carson students against Hollis Grace students. They were brother. Uh, Hollis was a younger brother than Carson. But they kind of, you know, put the students to, 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 to fight each other, and the one that at the time is what uh, was end of seventies uh, when I start there training, and at the time, if you win the 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 the, the, the qualifying, hundred percent you're gonna win the tournament. So during my time, Carson was already teaching by himself, and so didn't have that much qualifying when I was a, I was a blue, purple, uh, brown, but when I was a black belt. We restart to do it because too much people, too much blue belts to fight and, you know, purple. Yep. So then start to make the, 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 the qualifiers. And when around 80, 90s, right, 90s, 80s, 
We, we were kind of organizing the qualifiers, me and you, me, Libório, and Bebel, we kind of organizing the qualifiers. We were, you know, Libório was teaching there at the academy, Carson Academy, and with Bebel, we kind of found the Carson Gracie Club with all affiliates, trying to organize the, 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 the Carson Students Academies around Carson name. So, but Libório never, never made a, Qualifying, the body was straight. Oh, for I the, did. You know, I, yeah, yeah, he, had a, he had he had his spot there with his name. You know, <laughs> that's a that's lie. Black, you know, no qualifying for him. That's a lie. I made qualify. You know, but there was a couple human people, people there. Human people used to do qualifying. You know, not the body. You remember one guy I did qualify with? You know, Pedro Seco. Pedro really? Seco was the strongest guy in in the room. The strongest guy, that guy is, if we talk about this, Pedro Seco is the strongest guy across on Grace's school. Remember that? And I have done yeah. a qualifier with him. I have, yeah, I have, yeah, I have. Yeah, must have been a strong dude. <laughs> huh? So he must have been a strong, strong. dude. Super if he was the strongest guy at Carlson's, oh, yeah. there were some big dudes there. <laughs> oh, man. No, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't that big, but he was super strong, you know. But the bottle, to the bottle tell that somebody's strong, imagine how strong he is. Yeah, you know he was one guy I want to hear about Crazy. training with. Like we said, we just had him on the uh, the podcast. He's really intense. What's it like training jujitsu with Waleed Ismail? I think I train more with Waleed than, than Murillo. Murillo was in a different. Murillo was. Oh, I train. I train. I train a lot with Waleed. You know. You did. I train a lot. Of, How uh, intense are the rounds with Waleed? I was intense, but EJ, but EJ was, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he training hard every training. Doesn't have a, uh, you know, so he I, he was kind of training, competing. If you beat him, he's gonna waiting for you next day. He's gonna call you first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So, One thing about Walid, guys, listen, Walid really was an intense guy, but he really was an athlete, real athlete. He was really doing everything right from the diet, from 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 the conditioning, which is something conditioning came a little bit late for us, right? This is important to know, right? I remember I remember that conditioning just came in when the volley tutors started popping up. Because now I was an encounter with guys that were way so well rounded in terms of, of conditioning, wrestlers, judo guys, Olympic guys. And I remember Murillo doing the conditioning with Carlinhos, with uh, with Pimentel, which is one of the guys who revolutionary, you know, was very big revolution on, on terms of, of preparation and conditioning. Now, Walid was doing this, and Walid was intense, intense guy. He man, enough said that he he don't want to lose not even an an, an an you know Caesar paper and rock. You know, rock paper Caesar. <laughs> what we call Pujinha. He doesn't really want to do this. Now, Valido was not the most skilled guy in the room. He was not. Valido has this mental strength, which was a tremendous thing for competition. He had one or two, three moves there, but he was not the most skilled guy in the room. But was phenomenal what he could have done it, what, what he had done it with his skills. And, and all, honestly, man, all – all his discipline and all his mind, because it wasn't talent. It wasn't a natural talent. It wasn't physical talent. It, it was not genetics, you know? 
There was a funny story, but, man. I mean, and Walid, I think Murillo was there too. We're training in Beverly Hills or I don't know exactly. It was in the United States. And Walid comes in and it was even with Carlson Grace. Walid comes in and he jumps into this double leg. And I got the underhook and pancaked him. And it was really close to the wall. And I drove his head into the wall. <laughs> and it was a dry wall. And he had came in <laughs> all full in, you know, all full in into the wall. And he took the head out of here. And he was bald at the time already, man. And, and there were just scratches. Man, scratches all over the top of the head, his baldness. And Carlson had to something at the time. I said, well, let me take a look at this. Let me take a look at this. And Carlson has this thing about uh, cockfighting. And he has a product called uh, Salva Gallo. It is a purple thing that burns, burns. I can't even have to tell you. It's like somebody lit up a gasoline on your, on your wound right there. <laughs> that thing was burning so much. <laughs> I will cross him, put his head down, and it was scanning the pieces of, of the drywall out of Valid's head. And he poured that Salva Galloween, that purple thing comes in and it started burning. And I remember while he's screaming, ah, and his foot, and his foot training, it's shaking like that. <laughs> his foot is shaking like this. Like, he, he, it looks like a thousand cats, thousand cats is stretching like that. Oh, and I think God. it was so fun. And Marilla, do you remember this? Were you there? <laughs> yes, I was there. It was before my fight, my fight against Jerry Bolander. That's you, you know, I went, with him. I went to train and make a camp with Carson. Carson was living in the U.S. And I was living in Brazil. And I had a fight against Jerry Bolander. And I went to training two weeks with Carson in, in Los Angeles. Anybody went with me to help me. Yep. So, and then Valide was living there. So, with, with Vitor Belfort already, Vitor Belfort, yep. Valide, some guys, Rodrigo Medeiros, some guys were, uh, they were Medeiro. living already. Um, there and, was a lot of guys. Ray Diogo was there, too. Yeah, Ray Diogo. Yeah. Ray Diogo. And Carlos Barreto. Carlos Barreto fought in the same show, I think so. And then he went as well. And we were training there. So, one of those days... <laughs> Carson, yep. you know, Carson liked a lot to, to see the guys kind of, you know, uh, training hard, the students like uh, training hard against each other, you know, he kind of, kind of pushed them, you know, pushed the students. So to, you know, tease them against each other, then you could enjoy the training. He liked hard trainings, you know, yeah. so he kind of teased them he against each other in a good way, in a good way, in a good way. And then oh, when... Uh, Sorry, what, what, what was he like as a coach? Because like when I look back on that era, it's like you guys were the most dominant team. You guys had so many big names winning everything. And then every pitcher you see of Carlson, he's just laughing. He's laughing in every single pitcher you see of him from back then. What was he like a, as a head coach for you guys back then? Well, let uh, me tell you this. Marilla is saying that it's everything. It's really, really important for you to know. Carlson was the guy who – really a mastermind of the, the human CK, you know? He really, really worked his coaching style on 
on pushing and pulling, you know, kissing and 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 biting and blowing. And just what I'm saying is he knew it how to really manipulate people's mind in a way to make the best out of them. So I'm trying to give an example. It, it would never work the same strategy with me, then with Morello, then with Valid. You know, well, Valid has to be full of anger. It would never work with me to be full of anger. And Morello was like a, a doctor, you know, performing surgery when he was to fight. So that was not, if, if he really knew it, how to get the best out of this, you know. And, and you add this to knowledge, you add this to reputation, to networking, to all this, this guy was a master, man. It, it was an inspiration. For me, I got my inspiration to be where I am, not just today, but from all of this. When 1991, I had the chance to actually learn from him directly and see him teaching and see what he had done it, you know? Because very few people, Mike, I'm telling you this, very few people, guys, um, had the privilege to actually be taught by Carlson, you know? And we did. And at one point there, he was not teaching every day, right? Murillo, can you agree with me? Yes, yes, yes. Carson, uh, he was kind of teaching close to the contests, to the tournaments. But one thing to add what Libora said, that uh, uh, he was kind of know how to deal in, mental with each one, but he knew how to deal uh, strategies and teaching straight yeah. for everyone. You know, he, he kind of does it. For example, uh, one guy that not that didn't have good skills, he wouldn't try to teach the guy how to play guard because he wouldn't insist in something the guy wouldn't do well. So in, in, instead, he would he would teach the guy how to stand up, how to you know, re, uh, and the game from this guy was kind of be from the top, from from the bottom. Instead to play guard, he will he will teach the guy how to stand up, how to escape and stand up, you know. So, but guys like Liborio de la Riva, you know, he would kind of teach guards. So I come from the time that Carson pushed people to train from the top, to fight from the top because of probably Valitudo. He pushed the, the students to be aggressive. He liked guys yep. aggressive on the fight. So that's oh. one of the reasons that his students was one of the best Oh. In, in Valitude MMA, because we were aggressive during the fight, yep. you know, so it's take down, just close, smash, and, you know, dominate the fight. We didn't wait to play games. You kind of go there to squeeze anyone. He liked that. He kind of pushed that, you know, we were aggressive. 100%. But in the, same, in, the, in the same time, he was kind of teaching guards for everybody, you know, uh, but he likes more the aggressive game. Yep. You know, but some just a few guys play guard, you know, like De La Riva and some other guys from the academy. But most of people he was pushing to be aggressive, to take down, to to play from the top, you know. But in the academy, everybody plays guard, you know. And, and submissions. And submissions. There's something yeah, that submissions of it was no points, guys. For him, it, it was not about points. It was submission. Get it, final, submit, submit, finaliza, finaliza. That was a, that was very important point I'm really saying right now. It was it was about submissions. It was about get there and get the job done. You know, not too much of a point. One one he guy knew too. How to squeeze the best. He knew how to squeeze the best of everybody. You know. Yep. yep. That's the point. 
One one guy too from your guys' team that I uh, was surprised with his guard when I watched some old tapes is uh, Alan Goez. Alan Goez had a great uh, De La Hiva guard he used to play with in tournaments and stuff. Uh, uh-huh. What what uh what was it like having him in your corner when you would go to compete or fight? He seemed like a guy with a with a great energy. Was he somebody that did it? Did it give you a lot of motivation having him coaching you when you were going to compete? Numerello. Yes, yes. He, he was a kind that passed you a lot of confidence. You know, a lot of confidence. He kind of, you know, uh, he kind of prepare yourself. I mean, he prepare you to, to fight. Uh, he make you ready to fight. And he didn't talk that much about the opponents. He kind of just concerned about the training, what you had to do. He didn't, you know, he didn't let you think about who you're going to fight. It's more about what you have to do, you know. So he didn't want something for outside border your mind. And during the fight, he kind of give, give directions, but he was more about to prepare the, the students before. You know, the training camp was amazing. He made, and he passed a lot of confidence yep. for all, all of us. You know, he kind of, when you step on the ring, you were kind of, okay, I'm going to win. Even if you don't, if you don't, if you don't win, you kind of okay. I'm gonna win. I'm here because I'm gonna win. I'm super confident. I know what I have to do. And you're gonna fight hard with no issues in your head. You know, you doesn't have a kind of uh, worries about your opponent. You know, you're gonna face a, a tough guy, but uh, you're confident. You will, you will be so confident that nothing gonna bothers your mind. You know, something like that. Man, this is what Morillo is saying, guys. Listen, that's the guy who made you believe in yourself and he believes in you more than you do. Imagine that. And he has this amazing orb. Let's talk about Carlson person, man. That for me, I can never detach the big heart that he had. You know, he was, he was such a generous, big hearted guy, you know, helping everybody and treating everybody equally in terms of he, he was a very primitive guy in, in Rio and Brazil. Everybody knew who Carlson was. So you have this big celebrity guys here. And at the same time, he was teaching the guy that lives on the lead, the, the, you know, in the building. How many times I saw Carlson bringing in homeless people to, to go and, and sleep in a gym because they, they have no place to go. You know, that's the kind of generous guy that it, 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 you can't stop admire him. And so he was human. Right? He makes terrible mistakes also. He was not a business guy. He never was a business guy, which is add on into this beautiful person. It was not just suddenly to money. And even at the same time, you know, we had a problem with the contracts there and things like that that built up into people getting kicked out of the school because of that, you know, because it was listened to people. So he wasn't not, he was not perfect, but he was a tremendous human being. And he was the guy, this guy, in my opinion, he was the Robin Hood of jiu-jitsu. That's the guy who took from, from people that were just an elite of trainers, an elite of people that, that just who can, who can pay, you know, was going to learn jiu-jitsu. And he taught jiu-jitsu for everybody. He taught jiu-jitsu to the masses. He taught jiu-jitsu of quality to build up a team like he did. It was quality jiu-jitsu. Uh, preparing people to actually build up some of the guys that were the best in the world, even sometimes his family. And he showed jiu-jitsu to everyone. 
So he was, in my opinion, he was responsible for, for, for the diffusion of this everywhere. Really was a special man, you know? So we have uh, this routine where uh, the guest from the last show is got, has questions for you guys. Last time we had two uh, guys, Gabriel Argus, uh, three-time IBJJF World Champion, and Edward Najmi, a couple Gracie Baja guys. So and we're going to pull up the clip now and play it for you guys. They have a couple questions for you guys, and then we'll get a question for our, our next guest. So if you want to roll that video. <laughs> Comes up in my head. It's like they obviously have been living in jiu-jitsu for way longer than, than us, right? So they have uh, a lot of experience in the transitions that sport had throughout the years and um i know there was like the the 90s had the the that stigma of jiu-jitsu being like something violent that people would beat up uh other random people on the streets and then it took a while for us to fix that that image and then now we're living on the challenge times for more overall you know like the the society overall but obviously challenging for jiu-jitsu too so uh maybe just like have a little bit of insight from them on what was the difference between the the difficulties we had in the 90s for what we're living right now or, or if there's any other uh, difficulties that Jiu-Jitsu had throughout the years that they could share with us, I think would be a good thing that I would want to know. Great question. I love that. And uh, something I want to know more about too because I'm only sort of loosely aware. You know, I know it existed a bad reputation, but it would be great to hear it from those guys themselves directly. Edwin, you got something? Um, I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna ask them about what do, what do they feel about like the evolution of jiu-jitsu, the evolution of jiu-jitsu technique. Um, like in the '90s, it was obviously much more basic jiu-jitsu, right? Um, uh, like close guard, passing on the knees, all that stuff. And uh, what do they think about the new jiu-jitsu, the new crazy jiu-jitsu, the inverting, the lapels? Um, I already know they all hate fifty-fifty. I, I hate it too, so we don't have to ask about fifty-fifty. But what do you guys think about the evolution of jiu-jitsu, and uh, how do you guys adapt to the evolution of jiu-jitsu? Because um, I think that's that's a pretty hard thing to do. Even myself, right now, like I feel like there's so much new jiu-jitsu when from when I, when I was you know like a lower belt, and I have to keep that thing. So I think that's an interesting topic. So there was two questions there. The first one from Gabriel was about how uh, jiu-jitsu had a bad reputation in the 90s. I've heard about this. And, and how did jiu-jitsu get past that, do you think? First off, what Real was the up. reputation like? Let, let, me, let me answer that first, because I had this very, very, very heavy feel about that. And I'm telling you what. 1991, I'm, I'm helping in corner one of my, my, my best friends, you know, the guy who was really actually weird. Were kids at the time. When I say kids, I mean young adults at the time. And and have one thing to add. I I was an employee of a bank, which was really the most important bank in the whole entire Brazil. You know, and I was I had a, this most stable job that everybody wanted in Brazil, and you have to test yourself to get into this this school to be an employee of Bank of Brazil. It's kind of, for you to understand, it is kind of a lifetime. You get in, you follow a career. You know, I was I was going to school to, to learn business administration. And all these things here was a patent of career built up by my my father. In this. 1991, I was there, and I helped him realize, but I was there in his corner, his first match. 
we had no idea that this thing was be televised. I don't think Morello knew it. I think he knew it. We knew this thing here a day of, in a day after, or 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 in a, on a week, but not it would be in a prime time television in Brazil. At the same time, like I told you guys here, suddenly every little teenager wants to be a jiu-jitsu player. They want to do jiu-jitsu. It showed the efficiency of the sport. But at the same time, for the parents, it's like, whoa, that's terrible. That's terrible for the community. That's terrible for society. There's, there will be violence, you know, there will be, uh, there will be gangsters, there will be people fighting on the streets, and that was the interpretation of a lot of parents had it. I work in a bank that was completely against the Vale Tudor at the time, completely. I could not work. People knew that I was doing jiu-jitsu, but I had to hide that I was actually helping the guys to train jiu-jitsu or train for Vale Tudor. Wow. Jiu-jitsu was already a hard pill to swallow. And it got a little bit worse. Got a little bit worse, guys. Because at one point there, those kids started fighting in the street. They started fighting in parties, went to places, and started beating up kids that have never done jiu-jitsu before. Just for the, the reason what. You know? And it is a very different community, very, diff very different society as it is here in the United States. You have to understand that. Here in the United States, whoever slapped first, whoever's touched first, go to jail. There is no going to jail there because of a fight. You know? It's a completely different world. You, you're probably going to get people getting killed there and not going to jail. It's, imagine in a real, actually, fist fight. There was nothing like that. So you have a reason on the violence, or at least the media and the press made sound that any fight that was happening on the streets it would put it in a jiu-jitsu account. And for me, at one point, it hurt me directly. See that for me, I got, I got at one point sponsored by the Bank of Brazil. And Bank of Brazil was actually one of the best sponsorship for sports at the time. And I could never say that I could fight Valetudo or could fight, even, even to try to get an approach of being sponsored by, by Bank of Brazil in jiu-jitsu was something extremely hard that I was actually was able to accomplish because I was employee of the bank. So I really was, I felt that more than a lot of people, you know, because I had this regular job in and working in a bank and then, and to try to build up a career in it. It was something really, it was something really that hurt me with this fighting streak. And, and after that, you have the modification of the image of the sport. MMA was created, things just started picking up, and at one point there were now being, you know, a jiu-jitsu player was cool. And it was not even 10%, and I credit this, I gotta tell you this, man, I, I give a lot of credit to 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 Hoyce being exposed jiu-jitsu through the UFC to the world. You know, I have to do, I have to tell you, I'm very thankful to Carlson, of course, this is my master, the guy who built me up. But I gotta say that Hoist gets his exposure. Hoist and the guys like Morello, no? that really made this thing here from the background. Uh, now, there's like guys like Morello that picture the good image of the sport, that can actually verbalize things in a certain way instead of just putting the face out there and start punching people. If you just build that character, man, you don't have the whole entire community, the society, uh, 
embracing the sport as an educational tool. You got to understand this. For you to put your kid in jiu-jitsu, you have to see the plus of jiu-jitsu. You have to see all the values that jiu-jitsu are bringing in. But it can't be just medals and trophies and just winning valetudos. has to be something that is constructive to social skills and life skills and anti-bullying and helping on, on the psychological aspect of the sport itself. You know, and, and you have to sell this to the parents. When you have fighters in the street and that's the only press that you get in outside, you damage everything. You, damage, you compromise the future of the sport. So it was a great transformation to be where it is today. And another, another add, IBJJF and the CBJJ being created make this boom of the sport transform into what it is now, you know? The, the circuit make the difference. For us, me and Murillo, Murillo said, how many times we could have been world champions or Brazilian champions if the, if the CBJJ or IBJJF was created at our time? You know, we're, we're, we're going to have competitors at our time. But it is what it is, right? The, the circuit was created and helped to spread the sport in a very approachable, comprehensive way. And, and I, I just think that we just started. This is really not ended there, man. There's every corner in the world we're going to find out a takedown form, a takedown, or a striking form of, of a martial arts. The BJJ is just the starting right now, yes. So we, we, we're in a right track, in my opinion. All right. So let me add something. Let me add something about what Rivora said. So I will divide the, you know, before '91, after '91. Before '91, the challenge between luta livre and jiu-jitsu. There are so few problems on the street that didn't pay, bring attention. After '91, the young guys, some young guys, some young idiots from jiu-jitsu, they kind of became. Uh, very powerful with a lot of power and confidence because before 91 they was a little bit afraid of luta livre guys after 91 when we beat guys from luta livre those guys went to the street some just a few guys and created a lot of problem fights you know beat people you know make a lot of bad things for jiu-jitsu and it went to the newspapers you know so every like as Libori said every fight was put in the jiu-jitsu account. Everything was a jiu-jitsu gang. And for us that live from jiu-jitsu, teaching the academies was horrible because none of, you know, none of parents want to put the the kids on the the jiu-jitsu schools. So the jiu-jitsu classes, kids' classes was almost empty, you know, because the parents was completely scared of jiu-jitsu. So it didn't take longer to this pass. So in, in Brazil, I uh, was kind of the guys that uh, uh, playing martial arts, playing jiu-jitsu. They were like uh, rude people, like you know, people that had no polite, no 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 education, you know. So taking longer, taking longer. UFC helps a little bit, but uh, uh, create pride. And then we start to fight around the world, you know. So uh, still have problems with the newspapers. Everything was blamed. Uh, I was, uh, you know, was put in the count of jiu-jitsu. Everything was jiu-jitsu fault. Every kind of, you know, sometimes wasn't. Uh, and then, in nine, two thousand something, we bring uh, someone from the biggest 
TV company in Brazil to the Japan. We kind of sponsor, make a deal, you know, we bring them. And they made an article in the biggest yep. show on TV in, in, in Brazil. Brazil. So true. then they show the backstage of the biggest event of the time was Pride. Yep. You know? So they show how fighters were serious, you know, how much money was involved. And, and then it's kind of spread. And then from there, the problems start to finish because then this kind of company uh, kind of take care of the pay-per-view and start to make money with the martial arts. So it was a bad publicity. The publicity about jiu-jitsu and mix of martial arts was bad for the company as well. So then from there, the, 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 the picture changed completely. You know, Good so taking longer, it was, a, you know, it was very bad for us that live from Jiu-Jitsu was the sportsman, the, the guy, the true guys, the, the, you know, that the, the guys that really work and live from the sport, the sportsman. Yeah. We were on the street fighting, we were kind of competing, we didn't have time to fight on the street. Yeah. We were competing, we were, you know, taking care of our schools, teaching the students, you know, so it was the worst publicity ever for the jiu-jitsu schools in brazil you know but it did pass thanks god you know yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's come so far i mean now laborio's in florida teaching a jiu-jitsu program at a university talk, <laughs> talk about coming full circle but uh the uh so the other question i think this is a great question for you guys because i mean you guys have been training and competing and teaching for so long i mean i mean laborio's sixth degree black belt uh morello seventh degree and the question is, how do you guys stay up on the new techniques? Or Wait, the first part was, what do you think about the, the changes in techniques over the year? And the second qu part of it was, how do you stay up on it, right? Like, yeah, how do you, how do you how adapt? Do, yeah, how do you adapt to, to learning these new techniques and everything? So uh, let me start now, Libero, uh, real yeah. quick. So uh, I believe uh, the term new jiu-jitsu, it doesn't fit. You know, doesn't exist new jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is a sport. So something that's new today will be old tomorrow. So how are we going to call the jiu-jitsu for tomorrow? Jiu-jitsu jiu will be, you know, evolve and develop every time. Everything you can do with your body, never stop, you know. People are going to create a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff that doesn't work, you know. But one thing that keeps forever is the fundamental of jiu-jitsu. You know, it, it really works during the real situations. If you see a jiu-jitsu fighter, you know, going well in the MMA fights, he will apply the orthodox jiu-jitsu, the, the self-defense jiu-jitsu, that really works. So, a lot of good positions, you know, we had uh, things that developed from old times, maybe, you know, half guard. You know, nowadays, a lot of sweeps, new sweeps, lapel game, you know, uh, Berimbolo, some good things that you can use in jiu-jitsu, but not in self-defense and uh, and uh, real fights. It's good. 50-50, uh, I think, is the worst of them. 50-50 is a shame. You know, I think it's the only position that it do, they, they let people apply uh, heel hooks. You know, if a guy apply a 50-50, let them, you know, deal with the heel hooks. Then, because it doesn't, they they won't go everywhere from there. You know, so just advantage points, advantage points, stop the fight. Nothing happens from there, you know. Uh, so 
but a lot of a lot of good things come from ever people you know much more people training jiu-jitsu around the world than before so yeah. different styles are creating you know different positions are creating you know uh so i try talking about myself i try to learn the most I can. I'm learning every day, you know, I try to learn the most I can. Uh, nowadays, I have been doing position that I was, I was my, my, my game had been changing for, you know, every year. But I always keep the fundamentals of Jiu-Jitsu in my game that make my game solid. You know, I prove my game in during real situations, you know, Valitude, MMA, I apply my Jiu-Jitsu there, you know. So, and the, 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 the is a good example of this kind of game that the the the, the guy that has more success, uh, the, the, you know, the, the 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 one of the best or maybe the best competitor ever, Roger Gracie, was a traditional jiu-jitsu. You know what he applied was a traditional jiu-jitsu. He didn't do berimbolo. He didn't do 50-50. You know, his, his jiu-jitsu was pretty simple, was effective, solid game. You know, so Carson because of his background of uh, Vale Tudo, he concerned a lot of the fundamentals of Jiu-Jitsu. And his, co his students, was uh, they have a very solid game, you know. So, talking about uh, as being a, being a coach right now, I try to teach the most I can of the fundamentals to my students. Then when they good, I kind of uh, uh, push them to learn everything. I want that they learn everything. The everything. I try to teach everything. Because something gonna come up from there. You know, sometimes they're gonna you know develop something, they're gonna learn something. You know, I made my, my game I have been doing lapel game. I like lapel game for, for jujitsu. You know, a, a kind of develop positions good for me. But jujitsu must be good for everyone. You know, I cannot teach uh, uh, one of my students that have 50 years old, that's a professional, like a attorney or, or a doctor or whatever, uh, I cannot teach them to do a bidding bolo. So, you know, I cannot see a guy with, you know, six feet or more uh, kind of, you know, concerning his game about bidding bolo, it doesn't fit, you know, so different styles. So what, sometimes something is good for small people, like a bidding bolo is good for like skinny, small divisions, but uh, I don't believe it's good for, you know, big guys so saying that guys I, I believe that Jiu Jitsu is always going to develop and good things going to be created you know but the most important if you don't know the fundamentals of Jiu Jitsu you always you have a, a gap in your game you know so first of all learn the fundamentals pretty well teach the fundamentals for the students the best you can and from there they can learn they can create they can do whatever they want Everyone gonna have his. You're gonna have his own style, depending on body type. You know, if you're tall, if you're short, if you're fat. So, but if you not stick with the fundamentals, you have a problem somewhere. That's my thoughts. Solid answer there, Laborio. Do you have anything to to add to that? Yeah. Well, I'm, guys, I'm gonna be short. No, we're short in time too. Well, I I truly believe that jiu-jitsu is one. Come on, I. Jiu-Jitsu is one thing, guys, and it's a revolution. New Jiu-Jitsu, old Jiu-Jitsu, it's kind of hard to do. I agree 100% when Marilu says, what's next there? New, new Jiu-Jitsu? New, 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 new Jiu-Jitsu? How, how are they going to work? You know, There's ages on it, and that's from there goes on. But, but 
I agree. There is fundamentals. There are some fundamentals that you can never forget. Guys, come on. If you have to learn jiu-jitsu, learn at least some basic stuff also. That's going to be part and important for self-defense. When I see self-defense is this. You have to learn one or two takedowns. You have to learn a sprawl. You have to learn a couple things that's necessary for you to actually learn and utilize your jiu-jitsu if somebody attacks you. Now, but in competition, man, I am a of this new, this new style of beer and bolos and things that was happening. The lapel. I believe in art, and I truly believe that what we do is art. And you cannot put an end and limit in art. Let it go. Let it be. Let adapt. Let it just think. There's a couple of things that you have to think of it. It's important is for us to grow as a sport. We have to follow certain rules. The most important rules is we have to have TV. Having to have TV, you cannot be in a 50-50 for five minutes, nobody doing anything. Something has to happen or you break away and you come back again, right? Because it's easy. For, look look our competition, like it or not. It is easy for anyone, a 95-year-old lady would take a look at the screen. And if there was a takedown, she would know what is a takedown. Down. She's going to be, oh, that was a takedown there. But try to explain this for people that never saw jiu-jitsu before. It's kind of hard. you got a 50-50 and everybody's five minutes in the same thing. Things have to modify and rules have to be created to make this, to make more appealing to, to TV. But everything is jiu-jitsu. In my opinion, everything has to be evolved and, and, and it's part of a big, you know, a big scene. Jiu-jitsu for life. That's it. For sure. Great answers, guys. So we're running uh, pretty short on time. I got to get uh, a question from one of you for a guy, uh, IBJJF world champion, Lucas Hulk Barboza, who's coming on tomorrow. Want to go, Murillo? What do you want? Want me to do it? Which question oh, is? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, Memorial, can you think of something? Question. Yes, yeah. Let me Let me think of that. Lucas, listen, now we wanted to know, if you had a time machine and you have to choose an era of a new jiu-jitsu or new school jiu-jitsu, where will you go? And I guess who would you fight? I love it. That's a great question. Great question. Yeah, I'm excited to hear his answer. Uh... Guys, man, it's been super fun. Uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface, basically, of your history, but I had a great time learning a little bit about Carlson Gracie jiu-jitsu and, and seeing more depth into those stories that I've only heard a little bit about. Thank you guys so much for the time. And, uh, yeah, Michael, anything else to add to that? No. Great great show, guys. I wish we had more time. There was so much more stuff we could have covered. I have to get you guys back on. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Thank you so much, Marillo. You guys take it easy. We'll give you a call soon. Boys, I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Everybody at home, keep yourself safe and healthy. And after this craziness pass, everybody's invited to come to Orlando and visit University of Central Florida. Let's do it. Or go to Rio and visit Marillo at Brazilian <laughs> Top Team. All right. Yes. Thank yes. you guys. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Go to Rio. You guys. <laughs>